Well, as we're diving back into God's Word this morning, uh, we're going to be picking back up in our study that we've been looking at through the book of 1 Peter. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, picking up in verse 13. Uh, as you're flipping over there, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew there in front of you. It's the black book in the middle of uh, all the red books and things like that. The First Peter is a very small book, so if you're not familiar with your Bible, you may need to use the table of contents that's there in the front. It's going to be down in the New Testament. It's towards the back little part of your Bible, back quarter or so of your Bibles where you'll find First Peter. Um, I could give you my page number, but it's not going to do you any good, Okay. But as we're looking at 1 Peter, we've been looking at life as exiles, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But how many of you know somebody whose general demeanor, and don't elbow your husband or wife or poke your kid, okay, but their general demeanor could be described as contrarian, okay? Now, contrarian is a term that was coined in the field of investing, and that is if everybody's buying, you're selling. If everybody's selling, you're buying, right? Some of you know that person. That person who, if you tell them to do it, they're not going to do it. And if you tell them not to do it, they're going to do it, okay? I I think about um, Grumpy from the Seven Dwarves. You guys remember Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? You remember Grumpy? And when he found out that that Snow White was a woman, he said, you know, you got to watch out for their wicked wiles. And they said, what are those? And and his reply was, I don't know, but I'm against them, right? Um, You guys know folks like that that are just against it? We can get like that towards a boss. You know, maybe he did something towards us that just rubbed us the wrong way, and so I don't care what he wants me to do, I'm not doing it, right? Um, Dare I even say that we can get that way towards politicians? I don't like who's holding that office, so I don't care what he says, I'm not going to do it. We can get that way in our homes, get that way in our churches. By God's grace, I don't know of anybody that's that's got that attitude in our church currently, (laughs) But can I just go ahead and submit as we get started this morning, what we're going to find from God's word is that a contrarian attitude towards the authority that God's put over you is not a Christian attitude. I'm going to be real honest that this has been a very challenging passage for me as I've been getting ready for it. When we last left 1 Peter, we were talking about the fact that the overarching principle that's going to govern the next few weeks as we look at the relationships that God's put us in and how we honor him as exiles in those, you can actually go back up to verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Last time we were together, we talked about the fact that our sinful desires are often where we take a good thing that God's given it and we give it the weight of a God and we make it into a bad thing because we made it into a God thing, okay? So we talked about that as part of the way that we honor Christ as exiles. But then verse 12 said, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when you, they slander you as evildoers, they'll observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So we said that the way that we live among the Gentiles, which in this instance is just talking about people who don't know Jesus, um, the way we live among people who don't know and don't follow Jesus, we are to conduct ourselves honorably. Okay. Now, Peter's getting ready to go into what's called a household code, where he's going to address different relationships that would have existed in the households in those days and tell them how you are to respond to the authority structures that God's put in place. Now, this passage has been abused in different ways, not particularly this one, but especially next week. We'll talk some more about that as we get into it. But as we're looking at it this morning, here's what I want you to see. The attitude that God has called us to cultivate is an attitude that submits to the authority that God's placed over us. Now, when I said that, some of you, the hair just stood up on the back of your neck, 
You are not one to just submit. That's just not in your nature. And that's one of the reasons I, I thought about using a, a different term um, because the word submit has such strong reactions. But honestly, I want to lean into that. I want us to realize what God's calling us to do here in living under authority and submitting to the authorities that he's placed over us runs extremely countercultural to a lot of our attitudes and our behaviors. Now, for some of you, you're like, hey, this is no problem because you don't want to raise a fuss. You don't want to raise a stink. You, you don't want to really get into things. You want to maintain the status quo. I'm going to challenge you that as we get into this, um, the submission that we're talking about is not a simple passivity that just lets life go as it's going to go. There's times to resist, and we'll talk about some of that. But the, even the submission, even when we submit to the authorities that God's put over us, we're doing so in an active way, not in a passive way. And we'll, hopefully that'll make more sense as we go through this passage, okay? As we're going to dive in, we're going to deal with some very difficult topics this morning because we're going to talk about submitting to government authorities, and we're going to talk about how the Bible addresses the issue of, of slavery, okay? We're going to touch on those things a little shorter than uh, we probably need to. So if you have any questions about what we're going to cover today, I would love to sit down with you over coffee, over lunch, over breakfast. We could love to sit down and talk more about what the Bible teaches in these areas, okay? Y'all excited? Yeah, okay, good. Everybody's so excited to learn how to submit to the government, right? That's exactly what you wanted to come to church for. Well, listen, as we're going to see this, Paul is, or excuse me, Peter is going to give us three different reasons why we submit to the authority that's over us, okay? Now, as we do that, like I said, this is especially for those of you who chafe at the idea of submitting to people just out of principle, okay? I'm not going to, like I said, don't elbow your spouse, don't, you know, I'm related to a guy that is this way. My brother is one that uh, loves to rebel. It just, it's, it's, I didn't get that particular stripe in me, so there's things in here for me, though. But anyway, as we get into it, we're going to see God's called us to submit to the authorities that he's pushed over us, okay? So first thing that we're going to see, first reason that Peter gives us for submission is this right here. We are to submit because of God's rule. Submit because of God's rule. Start with me here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Now, read it and let it sink in. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slave. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, if you're not real familiar with your first century history, it may be hard for you to understand the weight of what Peter's getting ready to say. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But as you see this, the first reason that God has called us to submit to the authorities he's put over us is because of his rule. Starting back at verse 13, it says, submit to every human authority. Now, before we go any further, some of you are sitting there saying, yeah, but. Okay, so let's deal with the exception here. The Bible nowhere, nowhere commands that we are to have unquestioning 
absolute submission to any human authority, whether that is in our government, our workplace, our church, or our home, okay? This is not an absolute unquestioning submission. The Bible's full of instances, and we'll talk about some of those, where if there is a time when a person in authority over you in any capacity calls on you to do something that goes against what God has commanded us in his word, you're called to obey God rather than man, okay? We're going to see that both this week and next week as we look at the different relationships that God's put us into. So that understand that that's the caveat here. Any authority that is over you that directly asks you to violate God's law you have the right to rebel. And you have the expectation to rebel because you're a part of God's kingdom first. He's your king. He's the one who's in charge, okay? However, that's the only exception, okay? That's the only exception. If someone is calling you to violate God's law, if there's a person who's telling you to do that, what the Bible's doing is calling us to cultivate and live out an attitude where our default position is to submit to authority instead of rebel. The Bible doesn't tell us that we're allowed to rebel because the person who's authority is a bad person or because they're making decisions we don't like. The only time God calls us to rebel against authority is when that authority asks us to do something that contradicts what God says is right. That's hard, guys. Now, that's going to come even sharper focus in a minute when we look at what Peter says to enslaved people. He makes it crystal clear that we're to submit to the governing authorities who are in place over us. Now, in those days, the highest authority in the land was the Roman emperor, okay? He says we are to what? Honor the emperor? Now, let's think about that for a second. The Roman emperor Nero was the guy who ruled from about AD 58 uh, to about mid-60s. Paul, or excuse me, Peter was likely writing this letter in the early 60s A.D., 61, 62, maybe 63. That means the emperor he's talking about is the crazy, literally, insane emperor Nero. Nero is the guy who likely had the city of Rome, the poor parts of town, set on fire so he could burn it down and rebuild it with nicer stuff because he didn't like poor people. Nero's the one who, after he set fire to Rome, would blame it on the Christians so that he could start officially persecuting the Christians. In fact, Nero is the emperor who, in a matter of years, is going to have Peter executed by crucifixion. Peter says, honor the emperor. For the first 300 years of the church, there wasn't an emperor who even pretended to claim the name of And yet the call that Scripture gives us is to submit even to somebody as psychopathic as Nero was. You realize the Roman emperors used to dip Christians in tar and impale them and light them on fire to light the gardens for their parties. And Peter says, submit to every authority. How? How on earth? How how could God possibly call us to do that? Now, he doesn't say go along with or agree with everyone, but he does say that we are to honor them. Again, look back at verse 13. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Pretty much every other translation renders this better, by the way. 
and translates it for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. You see, when you and I submit ourselves willingly, even to unjust rulers, even to unjust bosses, when we submit ourselves to their authority, what we're doing is we're saying, God, you are in charge. You've called me to do this, and for your sake, I submit to him. Not because he deserves it, not because I like him, not because I want to, but because I want Jesus to be honored. We aren't submitting to and honoring these leaders because we agree with them or think they are good, godly people. No, we're submitting to them because we first submitted ourselves to the Lord. Now, go back to verse 16. There's a paradox here. Submit as free people. Remember, in those days, slavery was a a big institution. We'll talk more about it in a second. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slave. You see the paradox? You are free to submit because you're submitted to God as his slave. I love the way that Peter put it together. As a citizen of the kingdom of God, that means he is my king. That means in a real sense, we are free from the leaders who rule us. They don't have ultimate authority over us. What's the worst that Nero could do to Peter? Kill him. Great, he gets to go be with his true king, right? So ultimately, the governing authorities do not have ultimate authority over us because I am God's slave. My boss doesn't own me. My my school doesn't own me, whatever. God is my ultimate authority. So because of that, I am free to submit. Because, see, there's nothing you do that changes the identity of who I am. There's nothing you could force me to do that changes the fact that there's a God in heaven who loved me so much that he would die on the cross in my place and be buried and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. The one who said that I have value in it because I'm intrinsically created in the image of God. No government, no authority over us can touch that because that's set by God and God alone. So that means I'm free to submit myself because it doesn't make me less than. It doesn't change who I am. In reality, I can submit out of strength, not out of a position of weakness. That's where I want to challenge those of us who are more passive and more go with the flow. Is This is an active submission. It's not just saying, Man, I just don't want to make waves. It's no, I want to submit because God is my king. I want to honor him by that. And that's why it says... It is God's will, verse 15, that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Some people wonder, what's the will of God for my life? The will of God is that you submit yourself to the authorities that's over you whenever possible. I'm not saying going out looking to make yourself a slave or something like that. I'm saying when you find yourself in an authority structure, whether that's at work, whether that's the government, whether that's even within the home or within the church, that until they start asking you to do things that violate the commands of God, you submit. Your default position is submission. It's really hard, isn't it? Now, here's one of the reasons why that is. In those days, the Christians were being accused of trying to undermine Rome. That would get even worse because emperor worship became mandated across the empire, and so you had to swear allegiance to Caesar as Lord, and Christians said, I can't do that because Caesar's not my Lord. Okay? So because they were accused of undermining things, to fight that accusation, Peter called the Christians to submit wherever possible so that if they did have to take a stand, there was less ammunition for the enemies to use against them. 
It's similar to some parenting advice I heard from Matt Chandler one time where he said, say yes as often as possible so that your no's matter. In the same kind of way, as I am called to submit in the authority structures that God's put over me, in those instances, I need to say yes as much as possible so that when I say no, I can't do that. It's not just that I'm a jerk who doesn't ever want to do anything or I'm not willing to go along with folks. It's I'm making a stand that says my God and my king says I can't do this and I have to honor him before I honor you. I'm submitting to you because of God's rule, but when you ask me to step beyond what God calls me to do, i got to step back and say I can't do it. Maybe it gets better if we, if we make a biblical example to, to make this clear. Um, if you were to look back at the first chapter of the Old Testament book of Daniel, you find an incredibly horrific scene. God's people had rebelled against God for a really long time, and finally he reached the point where he allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to overthrow the city of Jerusalem. If you want a kind of an eyewitness account of how that went, read Jeremiah's book that he wrote that's Lamentations. Lamentations is Jeremiah lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. It was a horrific battle. Battle's not even the right word for it. They destroyed the city. They brutalized the population. Everything that God had promised his people was in shambles. They took all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the beautiful things from the temple. Everything was awful, okay? In the process of all that, they also took captives off to Babylon. They would take some of the brightest young men and they would put them in the service of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. There's a guy named Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who most of us know better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys get pulled into the king's service. Now, keep in mind, they're teenagers at this point. It's highly likely that Nebuchadnezzar's troops killed their parents. They've been uprooted from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, and now they're being forced to serve this king who was responsible for the destruction of their home, the the desecration of their temple, and possibly the death of their parents. And yet... They submit it. They go into this program to be able to to serve the king. And one of the perks of that program was you got to eat from the king's table. In other words, you got the best cuts of meat. You got the best access to everything. Well, if you remember the statement, God had given his people very specific dietary laws. They were things that they could eat, things that they couldn't eat, ways that food had to be prepared for it to be ceremonially clean. And also, this food had likely been sacrificed to an idol. This food would likely have been ceremonially unclean because they wouldn't have cared about the Jewish dietary laws. So it says that Daniel decided he wouldn't do it. He was no longer going to eat that food. Daniel 1.8 says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. And here's the thing. Daniel submitted until he couldn't, Right? He went into the program, he learned what he needed to learn, he served how he could, but when it came to the point of violating the law of God, Daniel said, no, I can't do that. But even when he said that, he didn't make a big stink about it. Instead, he went to the chief eunuch and said, hey, I need permission not to do this. And and you find, by the way, that God honored that decision and God promoted Daniel and his three friends. You find Daniel's friends having to make the stand at Nebuchadnezzar's golden image where he called them to bow down and worship. And again, when everybody fell down, They didn't raise some big fuss about it, but they stood because they said, I can't bow to that because I can't worship any other God. And God preserved and protected them and made his name great in the eyes of all the people because he preserved and protected them in that. 
We find Daniel later having served the kingdom for years and years. In fact, actually through multiple empires, not just emperors. But it gets to the point where Daniel had to disobey the king to honor God again. And the king actually was upset to punish Daniel because of the way that Daniel had served him in the kingdom. Daniel was on track to become one of the highest officials in the kingdom. And it grieved the king to have to punish Daniel. That's the story of Daniel in the lion's den that you may be familiar with. Why? Because Daniel recognized God was his king. And a part of honoring God as his king was to submit to the authority over him until he couldn't. So my question for us is, how are we doing with that? Can I be direct enough to even say, does the way you speak about the authorities that God's placed us in our nation, could you classify that as honoring the president, the governor, the senate? We submit because of God's rule. There are other passages like Romans 13 makes it clear. Isaiah 40 makes it clear that God has put the authority structures in place that are there. God's put the government there. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with everything. And where possible, where you see the government going in directions that are not God-honoring, you resist and you fight for change. But you can't dishonor the emperor. You can't fight against it just because you don't like him. The posture that God calls us to is submission because of his rule. Yeah, but Sean, really? He said honor Nero. And whatever you think of the current administration, the previous administration, or any other administration in American history, we haven't quite gotten to Nero levels with any of our government. And we're to submit because of God's rule. Just in case you think that that's not all the way, let's look at this next part of the passage. We see not only are we submitting because of God's rule, we're also number two, to submit because of God's favor. But look at who he's writing to. Verse 18. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. To enslaved people, that's like the worst conceivable position that you could come up with. And by the way, folks try to to say, you know, slavery in America is a different thing than slavery in those days. In some instances, that's true. There there were situations where slaves those days had better situations than slaves here in America did. But the reality was you were still enslaved. And he said that there were still unjust masters who would beat you. Okay? That's not okay. Before we talk about what all he's calling us to submit, let's, let's talk just a little bit about why Peter doesn't just flat out condemn slavery here. These verses do not teach that the Bible condones slavery. Passages like this were misused historically to defend the institution of slavery, and it was wrong every single time. However, think about Peter's purpose in writing this letter. 
He's writing to help Christians know how we individually and communally live in the world as exiles. Okay? Now, in those days, keep in mind, there were very few Christians compared to how many other people were in the Roman Empire. So the idea of doing a sweeping social reform to eradicate the institution of slavery was not likely to happen in any kind of quick time. So the early church needed to know, how do I respond now? If, I, if the gospel has come to me as an enslaved person and I find myself in this situation, what am I supposed to do with this? Paul makes it a little bit more clear in another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. He says, Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. By the way, this is one of the places where we see that, yes, we should fight back against unjust systems. Okay? He said, If you can get your manumission, if you can get released, get out. But if you can't, don't let it concern you. Why? For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of people. So don't allow yourself to go into slavery. If you can get out, get out. If you can't, recognize that you may be enslaved here on earth, but in your king's kingdom, you're a freedman already. You're submitting as a free man. And by the way, for those of you who think you're something because you're free, remember that you're the Lord's slave. So to the enslaved peoples of that day, he he writes this, that they are to submit to your masters with all reverence. We're both free and enslaved, so our earthly status as a slave or freedman does not impact our standing before God. Peter calls these folks to submit to their masters. This is, by the way, where he makes it clear that we're called to submit to people even when we are evil and wicked. Look again at verse 18. Not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Peter is calling people to submit to getting beaten because they love Jesus and they're enslaved. Think about that for a second. If God would call enslaved people to submit to the authorities that were over them, even when they're wicked, even when they're cruel, even when they do unjust things, then what could we possibly face that he could give us an out? Oh, yeah, you don't have to submit to him because he's from that other party. Oh, you don't have to submit to him because he's an idiot. That's not what God says. Now, again, we live in a society where we have a lot more options available for change, and we should vote for change. We should advocate for change. But it's all got to come with submission. It's all got to come with submission. Think about it. If you stand up before the the town council of fighting some kind of ordinance, and you've got 436 speeding tickets throughout Christiansburg, is anybody going to care what you say? Now, add the name of Christ into that. You say you're a Christian, but everybody knows that your business is shady. Everybody knows that you're a jerk to your neighbors. Everybody, they're not going to give a lick about what you say. And they're going to dishonor God, your true king, because of the way you and I behave. 
So we have to submit whenever we can. So, Sean, that just seems really harsh and cruel. Well, it does. It's hard. This is one of the hardest commands I can think of, especially this one towards, towards enslaved folks. But here's what he also says. Not only is this because of God's rule and the fact that God will be honored by the way that we respond to the unjust authority over us, it also says it brings favor with God. Did you see that? Verse 19, for it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Down to the last part of verse 20, but when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure this, this brings favor with God. Now, I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but guys, think back to what all we've seen through 1 Peter. We've seen that we have this inheritance that God's keeping in heaven for us, a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time when Jesus shows up, right? We have this waiting for us. And Peter says, part of that is as you suffer well by submitting even to an unjust master, if you're an enslaved person, as you submit well, you're honoring Christ, and he, that brings favor with God. Can you imagine looking at somebody who's enslaved and in a wicked situation like this and saying, hey, that brings favor with God? may not feel like much comfort today. But there's coming a day when we'll realize that. We'll see it. We'll have it. Every time we have submitted in a way that God honors God and given him the glory by doing what we didn't want to do but what he called us to do, every time we've done that, that brings favor with God. And we'll be part of that inheritance, that reward. We submit because of God's rule, and we submit because of God's favor. Now, you may be sitting there saying, well, Sean, I'm still not convinced. You're not going to get me to talk good about this person. You're not going to get me to submit to that person. Okay. Last point out of this one, last reason he gives us to submit to the authority of us is to submit because of Christ's example. Verse 21, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Nobody in history got treated worse than Jesus. There is nobody in history who has ever been perfect like Jesus was. But all throughout his ministry, he was maligned. He was misunderstood. People fought against him. People lied about him. People eventually arrested, beat, and crucified him. He didn't insult people. He didn't post about it on Facebook. He didn't threaten he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Just like we submit to God as our king, he submitted himself to the will of the Father, which took him to the cross. And he even submitted himself to the governing authorities. You remember when they went to arrest him? And he said, look, I could call down legions of angels. He said in John 10, remember we talked about it and when we were looking through John, he said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Now, he did more than just do that as an example, but it was not less than an example. If Jesus 
was willing to submit himself to the very people he made. Remember, he's the creator God. Colossians says that in him, we, that he says that in him everything holds together. He's holding all of creation together. And these very people, like, if he wanted to, he could have just dissolved Pilate, right? When Pilate was there trying him and getting ready to, to put him to the cross, he could have just gone, and Pilate would have ceased to exist. And yet, he willingly submitted. He willingly submitted. Is God calling us to do something difficult when he calls us to submit to the authority over us? Absolutely. But this is the God who's done it for you already. Now, he's God. He would have been just even if he hadn't. He could still have required this of us. But he is the God who's literally been there and done that. He's literally submitted to unjust masters who have beaten him. And by the way, he did that for you. He himself bore your sins on the cross so that you might die to righteous or die to your old way of life and live to righteousness. By his beatings, by the stripes he was given, we have been healed of our spiritual iniquity and our infirmity. He's made us whole. We were wandering around like sheep without a shepherd, yet through his death, burial, resurrection, now he draws us back to the one who's the shepherd and overseer of our souls. That's the God who calls you to submit. The God who we honor as we honor the emperor. By the way, if you go back, it says that we're to honor everybody, love the brothers and sisters. That's our, our Christian brothers and sisters. We fear God. We honor the emperor. There's a subtle difference there. We may honor the authorities that God's placed in front of us, and that's what we're supposed to, and it's because we fear God. Because my king is the one that I'll ultimately stand before. He's the one that I'll ultimately give an answer to. So what's it look like to live honorably among the Gentiles so that God won't be reviled but be exalted? It means I've got to submit to the authority that's over me. If they call me to violate what God's said in his word, I step back and can no longer submit. But whether I like it or not, whether I like the person or not, God calls me to submit. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes for just a minute. What do you need to do in response to this? The first thing is, well, if you're here today and and you're listening to us either online or you're here with us in person, if you've never come to the point of submitting your life to Christ as your Savior and Lord, that's where you got to start. He's the ultimate authority, and today you've heard about the fact that he loved you so much that he would die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that you could have new life. So have you said, God, I surrender? I submit to you. I'm putting you in charge of my life. I want to turn from whatever you say is wrong and I want to turn to following you through what Jesus has done for me. I I want to follow you. If not, that's the starting point for you today. If you've done that, the question is, how well are you doing in honoring your king by living under the authority that he's put in place? Are you honoring everybody? 
Are you submitting to the authority God's put over you with all reverence? If not, what do you need to do to change that? How do you need God to work to honor you or honor himself through you? Maybe you've forgotten that you're a representative of him. And so you can submit as a free person because you're his slave. When it's hard, maybe you need God to remind you of the fact that this brings favor with God. This is one of those things that God rewards. Maybe you've lost sight of Christ's example. As you think about living under authority, then, what do you need to do differently? Some of you, maybe, you need to ask God to help you to be like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you're too willing to submit. Not for the Lord, but just because you don't like a fight. Just because you want it to be status quo and you don't want to disrupt things. Would you ask God to give you the strength to honor him as your king? even if that means standing alone. Whatever you need to do, do business with God. I'll be down front if you want to talk with me or pray with me, and if not, you just take some time there where you're seated to respond to what God says. Father, thank you for being our king. Thank you that we have the privilege of serving you and knowing you. Your word sometimes has difficult truths for us in it. God, would you give us the strength then to honor you well by submitting to the authorities you've put in place. May you be exalted by the way that we respond and live. And may our lives, whether it's through our actions as far as our our holiness, our, our personal walk with you, or the way we respond to authority, May nothing in our lives distract or disrupt people from getting a clear view of you. Would you help us then to keep our eyes on how to honor everybody, even wicked emperors like Nero? Would you keep the fear of you first and foremost in our minds so that we guard the way we talk, we guard the way we think, the guard the way we react? so that we submit as we can. And then, God, where you do call us to stand, where you call us to push back against injustice, wrongdoing, you cause us to stand to honor you, we ask that you'd give us the strength to do so, knowing that it gets favor with you. And all of these things keep Christ's example at the forefront of our minds we would remember how he was reviled and didn't insult back, how he was beaten and didn't threaten, how instead he took our sin, died on the cross, rose from the grave. Thank you for being such a great God who's so worthy of our service and our lives. Help us to honor you well as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.